After many years of trying, Wyeth has received approval and is currently marketing the newest antidepressant in the United States, desvenlafaxine. What do you need to know about this medicine? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Philip Ninen. Dr. Ninen is the Vice President for Neuroscience and Global Medical Affairs for Wyeth Pharmaceuticals. Dr. Ninen has an international reputation for excellence in research in the neurobiology and treatment of anxiety and depressive disorders. Welcome to ReachMD, Phil. Thank you, Leslie. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Phil, the history of desvenlafaxine is pretty interesting in itself. Why don't you fill us in? Yes. Actually, not many people might be aware, but Wyeth was voted last year as having the best pipeline in the neurosciences. And so we invest a lot of effort, people, and money in being able to come up with new medications, both in psychiatry and in neurology. And we have a broad portfolio in the area of anxiety and depression, particularly in the area of novel mechanisms that we would have. And so there was a tremendous effort to be able to come up with the next generation of medications. But as you know, and as several companies have learned, it's much easier to talk about these things than to be able to deliver it. So we had been looking at a number of different approaches, and it turned out that when we looked at a whole host of issues, so when we start looking at medication in the pipeline, there are initial studies that look at pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. Uh, There are issues in terms of formulation, the whole biodistribution business, how it's absorbed, distributed, metabolized, and eliminated, whether age and gender matter, whether it affects the liver, the kidney, those kind of issues. And then, of course, we are very sensitive to the issues related to the heart. And so what you do when you have a drug is you run them through all of these preliminary trials in the test tube and in animals, and many, many drugs at that point fail, or we make choices. I mean, nobody would come up with a drug these days that would have a major impact on, you know, have to go in a major way through one of the cytochrome P450 enzyme systems because people are much more sensitized to it. We would not come up with a drug that would have an effect, say, on the QTC of the heart. And so among all the things that were done, desmenlafaxine landed up coming out looking actually very clean. And so they said, well, let's go ahead and develop it. And so that's how desmenlafaxine was chosen out of a whole portfolio of studies of compounds that we had to be developed. And how long did it take? You know, most of us were end users of these products and, and we're really not privy to the, the life cycle of these compounds. Roughly how long from first identifying desmenlafaxine to having it on the shelves? It can take a decade or more because before you actually give it even to an animal, you do all these basic tests, and then you give it to animals, and then you give it to humans. And actually, the longest period of development actually happens in the human part, uh, particularly in the phase three trials, because you have to have a whole portfolio of studies that meet very specific criteria for the FDA to be able to demonstrate efficacy as well as safety. Now, when the new drug application went in, this was amazing to me the number of pages that the new drug application had to the FDA was 280,000 pages. 280,000? That's right. And then, of course, we have a back and forth with the FDA. They have a number of questions about, they actually read this thing and they study it and they, they think about it. They relate one bit to another and all this stuff. And then they ask us a whole bunch of questions. And so by the time we finally finished all of this back and forth, we had more than half a million pages that was part of the application 
for this. And that's the amount of effort that goes into getting a medication on the market. Wow. Let's talk specifics for those that may not be familiar with desvenlafaxine. What's the research now to support the use of it in the treatment of major depression? Well, if you look at it in terms of the studies that were done in patients with major depression, there were a portfolio of nine studies that were done that looked at a range of doses. We looked initially at doses that turned out to be much higher than was necessary, so the initial studies were 200 to 400 milligrams, and then later on we found that even 50 milligrams was going to be effective. And in fact, we waited, you know, we had got what is called the approvable letter much earlier on, but we decided to wait till we got some of our final clinical data because we thought that that would really have an impact on us being able to tell clinicians how best to use the medications. And so that's where we came up with 50 milligrams, which is our lowest dose pill once a day, was going to be an effective dose. And that was the starting dose was the effective dose. And it was actually quite well tolerated when you look at it in the standards of antidepressants. So if you look at one measure, which is the number of people who discontinued the medication because of unacceptable side effects, it was very similar to that in the placebo group. And so we had a profile where once a day medication, the starting dose is the effective dose, its tolerability profile is very positive. Because when we are looking at the benefits that we want to be able to provide, the ease of use of a medication is now increasingly becoming important because primary care physicians, healthcare providers have a whole lot of things that they have to pay attention to. And anything that makes it easier for them to use and makes it easier for patients to adhere to can make a big difference. If you're new to our channel, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Philip Ninen. We are discussing the latest antidepressant available in the United States, desvenlafaxine. Now, Phil, so 50 milligrams is the starting dose. Do we ever go higher? Well, we can go higher. As I said, we studied it up to 400 milligrams. But what we found was that the difference over placebo, the degree of benefit was no different at doses higher than 50. On the other hand, adverse events were much more likely at higher doses. And so the FDA has put in our label that 50 milligrams is the effective dose and is the recommended dose and that no additional benefit has been demonstrated at doses higher. But at doses higher, you do have the greater potential for adverse events. Now, thinking there's so many antidepressants on the market, and I'm thinking now of a primary care physician maybe listening right now. When would they think about denzlenfaxine? What kind of patients really are, are ideal for this drug? Well, when you look at the portfolio of antidepressants that we have, particularly the new generation antidepressants, there is no conclusive evidence that can be drawn that says that one medicine is more effective than the other in the broad population of patients with major depressive disorder. There might be some slight advantages in particular subpopulations, but across the board, you know, the FDA is very cautious in making sure that nobody can claim any sense of superiority. So, so the efficacy is not an area. We're really looking at issues of tolerability, its metabolic profile. So, for example, Pristique, close to half of it is eliminated unchanged in the urine. 
you know, much of it is goes through the liver, but not through the cytochrome P450 system predominantly. It goes through glucuronidation, which is a high-capacity system. Um, there is a minor element, less than 5%, that goes through the 3A4. Its metabolism is also not through the 2D6, so whether you are a genetic poor metabolizer or an extensive metabolizer, it doesn't matter. The, the plasma levels of the drug are essentially the same in both those populations. Unlike venlafaxine, where a 2D6 profile does have an impact, so if you're a poor metabolizer, then the parent compound is much higher because the 2D6 is an important pathway for its metabolism. For those that may not be familiar with desvenlafaxine, the venlafaxine part should be familiar, and that, of course, is marketed under the trade name of Effexor. And there's been some suspicions out there that perhaps desvenlafaxine has come on the market because venlafaxine is going to come off patent soon. Is that true? Well, venlafaxine is expected to lose patent sometime in a couple of years. But let me tell you that desvenlafaxine was actually developed initially not for depression, but for vasomotor symptoms associated with menopause. And that was the indication that we had started our studies out with. We found that it was such a clean drug. It had straight linear pharmacokinetics. It was well tolerated, and it had all these signals that indicated that a broad population of patients would be able to take it, and so they developed it also for major depressive disorder. Um, We did get what is called an approvable letter for vasomotor symptoms of menopause, but they wanted us to do another study, which is being done. So I hope that when the results of those study become available, that the FDA will make it available as an indication for desmenlafaxine. Now, you mentioned earlier the increasing awareness of drug interactions. What is the drug interaction profile of desmenlafaxine? Well, it's actually relatively clean, and that was one of the reasons why it was thought to be worth developing. So it really has a very minor pathway through the 3A4 system, but the blood levels of venlafaxine get affected only to a minor degree when you have something that inhibits the 3A4 or induces the 3A4. It doesn't go through the 2D6, as I mentioned earlier, and it doesn't inhibit the 2D6 beyond a very minor degree, and it doesn't have an effect on any of the other pharmacokinetic enzyme systems. It's also not a substrate for the other system that we're increasingly becoming aware of, which is the P-glycoprotein system, which is an efflux system that can take medicines out of a cell and extrude it out into the lumen, and that system is present in the blood-brain barrier. And so one of the things that it might do is it might take the medication from within the brain and get it outside the brain. And if you're interested in having the drug have an effect on the brain, then what happens is um, it's less likely to be able to continue to do that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today with us, Phil. Well, listen, it's a real pleasure. And what I can say is that, you know, we have with desmenlafaxine or Prestique, medicine that the starting dose is the effective dose. It's well tolerated in terms of discontinuation rates are equivalent to placebo. And it has a fairly clean metabolic profile. So we are excited about being able to make that available to clinicians and patients. And we hope that people find it useful. We've been discussing the ins and outs of the latest antidepressant, desvenlafaxine, with our guest today, Dr. Philip Ninen. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. If you have comments or suggestions, please give us a ring at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening. 